This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Shake Them Ropes. My name is Chris Novembrino, and my co-host and my friend, your friend, is Jeff Hawkins. Hey, Jeff. You're passing off your friendship to other people? Okay. I mean, I, I need some help sometimes. <laughs> you're, you're a bit of a handful, Hawk. Oh, trust me. Watching you and my improv partner bond over Star Trek gave me the fear of god in my life yes picard (laughs) jeez let's talk about q some more no don't oh i i'm getting through enterprise now i i have thoughts about the weird pivot that upn made that show take in season three oh but chris is enjoying a tasty beverage I was. I had to put it away because I have, like, too many cats now. Um, But I was enjoying chocolate milk, good chocolate milk. So there's, like, the cheap chocolate milk that you drink at school or that is available at the same price as, like, the regular milk. And and don't get me wrong. Regular milk is fine. You know, see, people just need regular milk. Don't get me wrong on that. But chocolate milk is, like, a dessert thing. So you shouldn't buy cheap chocolate milk you really should splurge and buy like the really good chocolate milk the stuff that's like six dollars for like a quart of it because when you do this it is deliciousness or you can also do what i did tonight and just kind of scope the clearance aisle and there was some really good premium chocolate milk uh on clearance i'm not going to give them a plug (laughs) like it goes bad tomorrow (laughs) <laughs> no, it goes bad. On, uh, it goes bad on the twelfth. Like, what, what's today? It's the ninth. Yeah, yeah, dude, I've got like three days to drink this thing. I know, but that's usually where the clearance rack milk is. I uh, yeah, for sure. A good chocolate milk is good. I like banana milk. I like that, the Nestle kind. That's pretty good for me, even though that's you know artificial banana is usually not my jam. But I do like banana milkshakes. I like. Uh, see, I I agree with you in terms of the go for the premium stuff, especially when you buy ice cream. Like, oh, yes, yeah. the, the, the high butterfat content stuff, the $7 a pint or $6 a pint stuff from like uh, McConnell's is a big brand out here in California. Uh, cool House is pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah they are. Because if you're buying like Briars, what you're paying for is air bubbles that are supposed that are basically they basically fill it with a lot of air to give it the semblance of creaminess when it melts on your tongue. And it's not really creamy ice cream. It's just kind of, you know, cheaply made crap that, you know, melts in your mouth very easily. But it's not really good. I, I like I like good ice cream. Yeah. I will splurge for that. Especially with like just kind of lactose intolerant. I can't drink a ton of it. Um, like so small, very flavorful dairy products. I still find to be really, really good. And Cool House, yeah, Cool House is a really good uh, ice cream brand. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So we have uh, we, we've we've had a few days to digest WrestleMania. 
both nights. Do you have any changes in any of your opinions across the board? I was really surprised with, like, how over the top the Firefly Funhouse Discord or discourse became. Like, there were, like, big think pieces and stuff, and I didn't think it was that cerebral. Like, I sort of liked it. I enjoyed it, but I, I didn't think it was all that deep. Um, so that was a bit surprising to me. I don't know that I've really changed my tune on much anything. What, how about yourself? I, you know, I, I give a little bit more credit to that Firefly Funhouse. I agree. I think there's way too much deconstructing of it as high art, a little bit too much. Um, I was amazed by the response to it. I, I, I didn't think it got that damn Animotion song stuck in my head. Oh, I, 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 I love that song. I don't care. No, it's good. No, I've been jamming it on the drums like the last three days. Uh, there was an Easter egg I, I had forgotten about in there when Cena's wearing the Yankees jersey. I forgot about that CM Punk promo that called him the New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was, I'd go, oh, there's another clever little layer there. Um, I did change my mind. I did rewatch Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, and I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. I... Uh, Oh, I get what her costume's supposed to be now. It's a Dragon Ball Z reference. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah. Somebody, somebody wrote me that because it's her favorite anime character. Speaking, Android thirteen, I believe. Speaking of Rhea Ripley, <laughs> news coming out was that her uh, work visa expired after WrestleMania, and she's gonna go back to Australia for a while. Chris, how does that happen? How does this happen in a major company where? Co the owner's wife was a member of the government. <laughs> it's just a lack of attention to detail. I, I don't know any other way of putting it. You know, in this case, it's an HR thing. I feel like HR has to have, this is going to get boring and very sort of like, how should an office work sort of argument. But HR should be keeping track of the visa status of everyone who works internationally in that company, right? I could see I could see them putting the onus on the talent. I really could. It's like, you need to keep track of when your work visa expires and come to us to tell us to do something about it and get your paperwork in and all that other stuff. Whereas other companies would be the ones doing it because they're the ones sponsoring you for the work visa. I'm guessing something happened, but I, I'm guessing it was one of those things where she, she, I think she can work in the UK without a visa, but she needed it to, when she got brought into NXT US and it was only for a finite amount of time, but I'm just like. So and this is one of these things where the company, because they choose to interact with all the performers on an independent contractor basis mm -hmm. versus an employee basis, they're not keeping probably as good at tabs on this as they should. And you're totally right. I could see the psychology of the company being, well, yeah, the independent contractors should know that. They should know whether they can work here or not. Rhea Ripley's an idiot. She's not being professional. <laughs> now, we are talking a bit out of school because neither of us know, you know. It's conjecture, this. but it's sort of like what we kind of know WWE's yeah. history with other performers to be like or sort of their disposition to be like in many different situations in the past. Was, uh, was Randy Orton versus Edge the worst WrestleMania match you've ever seen? <laughs> it, well, so, again, I, I, cheated, I, cheated, I cheated, right? Like, so I – Remember, I fast-forwarded through large chunks of that match because I was watching on a delay, and I was like, okay, it's punch, punch, kick, kick, walk, walk. 
Um, I don't know that I could have sat through 36 minutes of punch, punch, kick, kick, walk, walk. Like, I, I mean, I, uh, sitting on my couch watching that, I feel like at the end I would be at a point of hatred. But I, I've learned to not let myself get there. I, I, don't, I don't think that's healthy. Because I, I like Edge. I think Edge still has things to give. I don't think that was a good usage of Edge. I thought that was too much hyperbole. That's actually a quote from Dave Meltzer. He was sitting there going, I think this is one of the worst matches I've ever seen at a WrestleMania. I was like, I get it was 36 minutes. I didn't think it was that bad of a match. I just thought the pacing was off and it could have been edited down a bit. I, I understand and completely agree with the comments of people who who said it went on way too long etc cetera, etc cetera, but yeah I, I mean i think if you sat there with I mean, a notepad it, let me put it from, this way it wasn't it wasn't undertaker versus like giant gonzalez type bad yeah but how long was undertaker versus giant gonzalez i i, I don't i didn't i'm not gonna type that I don't I'm, yeah, so you can't just one you can't just get on the air and make conjecture like that without timing out to, to undertaker versus what, giant gonzalez. what's the price of oil i don't know well, maybe I, 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 hold, I hold this show to a higher standard journalistically than that <laughs> I'm a broadcast journalist, damn it. Uh, no, but uh, I no, I will find out for you. Yeah. I, I no, I, I think I think no, the time matters, right? If you actually sat and watched it on your couch, dedicating your eyes to it, or even with like a notepad, taking notes and trying to recap a blow by blow. I think it would be really painful at the end of it to go, well, it was 36 minutes, and then you think about other matches that you've seen in the last five to seven years that have been 36, 37 minutes, and you're talking about, like, Kazuchika Okada versus Tanahashi and Nakamura versus Kenny Omega and AJ Styles and, like, all these new Japan classics, and then Edge versus Randy Orton. And... and in terms of company for 36-minute matches, it might be one of the worst 36-minute matches of all time. All right. Undertaker defeated Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania 9. Time of the match, 7 minutes, 33 seconds. I don't know if that includes introductions and walks down to the ring. But, yes, it was not as long as Randy. So you're, you're telling me for the price of five Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez matches, <laughs> I, I could get one Randy Orton versus Edge? No, that's, that's going to be the new standard right there. We're going to uh, – on a scale from one Giant Gonzalez Undertaker <laughs> to five. And then they'll eventually have to go, ooh, that was six Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez matches because it happened in Japan. Yeah, that's <laughs> – that's the new that's the new measuring stick for match lengths there. <laughs> like what was it one Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez? Two, three, four. That's how you do it. Two two Undertaker versus <laughs> Gonzalez match. Uh yeah, I, I, just, I, I, I think I think there's a healthy medium in between saying it's the worst match you've ever seen and just thinking it dragged on a bit. I, I, yeah, yeah. It just I mean it wasn't it was bad. It was long. And it would have been offensively long to watch straight through. But, I mean, at a certain point, I have to imagine people, you know, go and hit the bathroom or get a refill on their drink or something. They're at home, right? You know, it's not – I think it would, have been, it would have been really rough to have been in an arena and watched a 36-minute oh, yeah. Edge versus Randy Orton match that was worked similar to that style. Honey, I'm going to go to the restroom. Let me know what happens. <laughs> You're coming back. They're still going. 
like, like how long were they planning on doing this in an arena? Uh, I'm guessing shorter because I'm guessing it would have been two nights. So I'm guessing that would have been cut time to about like eight minutes or so, maybe 12. Okay. That would have been a lot better. Yeah. Um, so our new, uh, universal champion is one drew McIntyre. And, uh, they followed this up on raw, a very, (laughs) that raw was interesting. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you're giving Liv Morgan versus Natty. Or not, was it Liv Morgan and Natty, or was it Liv Morgan and Oscar? Uh, it was Liv Morgan and Oscar. Got like three, three segments. But you follow up, uh, <laughs> you follow up Drew's big win with the Big Show coming out and demanding a match. Why did they do this, Chris? Why is the first competitor for a new champion that they're trying to make into a star? Some guy that's been in the company for 20 years that doesn't have that clout. They did this with Daniel Bryan and Kane, too. Remember the big monster movie when he and AJ got in the limo and they're being chased by Kane? This doesn't get over your new champions. Do they not care about him, or is this just Vince being Vince? I think this is Vince thinking he's doing Drew a favor here. Well, you see, Big Show is bigger. <laughs> right. No, it's really weird to have. I mean, I know that they flip him from heel to face sort of all the time, but as you're pushing the big show show on Netflix right now, I guess I don't see the point in having him work <laughs> as a heel. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Cause the last time we saw big show was what? Four weeks ago, maybe five when he's teaming with Kevin Owens and <laughs> And the Viking Raiders and that crew taking on uh, taking on Seth Rollins and his his crew. And then they just decided to turn him heel. He comes out. Drew doesn't take it seriously. He has this, like, weird look on his face as opposed to being concerned at all. I, they're making him that they, – they do this. They did this with Roman a few times where they didn't know – which kind of champion he was going to be. Was he going to be a ladies man? Was he going to be cocksure and just doesn't care about himself or doesn't care about things? You know, the smart alky type. Was he going to be the alpha male who was like the tough guy? Was he going to be the ladies man? I think they don't know. I I, got to be honest with you because he comes out and, and, and Drew is doing his best CM Punk impression with the weird, take a look at this guy, get a load of this dude type face. And then that Big Show challenges him, and he backs down. He goes, no, I don't want to fight you right now. I just got done fighting Brock Lesnar. It, it, everything just hit the wrong beats for me on this. Yeah, I don't know who Drew McIntyre is, and I don't really know what motivates him. And I was thinking, watching WrestleMania, well, what the hell is this guy going to do now that he can't point to the sign every week? Because that was really a big part of his characterization going into this WrestleMania match. This sort of meta self-aware pointing to the sign. Like, how do you port that onto week-to-week television? Yeah, among other things that also happened on, uh, on Raw, <laughs> I, I, I guess we're going to go right back to Becky and Shayna. I, I just, I've, I'm, I'm a little flabbergasted as to why it ended. I mean, they, they thought they were protecting Shayna by ending it that way. I, I strongly disagree. Um, 
And it looks like Bianca Belair is now a permanent member of the main roster because we went from a tag team rematch because why are we rematching immediately? I don't know. Uh, and then turned into a mixed tag just as we thought it was going to be. And this is what it's going to be is, is these some, some version of this six for the next six weeks, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I think to answer your question about the booking, it's a bit of paralysis on the writing front and, and not knowing how to write. Well, let me, let me butt in here real quick. Okay. Cause they have a big issue. They can't fly anybody in. And, and there's a lot of people who can't fly in. So they have, they're basically, all right, who's available here in Florida that can drive down to the performance center and come to a show. I, I sympathize like hell with, you know, it, depending on where all the writing staff is these days, because not all of them live in, you know, Connecticut or Florida. And part of this is LA. a personnel issue. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's every writer involved in this company currently under contract is doing a bad job because I think part of it's that those people aren't there either. And part of it's that they're wrestling personnel, not there, but I think it's a mindset issue, right? It's accepting the realities of the situation for at least the next four weeks. And what's great about wrestling in terms of working in this pandemic climate where there is social distancing, you might not be able to do arena shows for quite a long time here is you can keep assessing this on a month to month basis with pay-per-views being a point where you can reset and prepare yourself to sort of reopen the doors to your arena show whenever you can. But I, I think they really need to get into the mindset of for the foreseeable future, we need to be booking in four week patterns and, you know, go back to kind of classic wrestling templates and, and use that to your advantage rather than be scared of uh, the future. Just sort of roll with it. For WWE, it's it's funny because I was watching this week and somebody uh, somebody put up just a an, uh, a beginning of an old primetime episode. This is back in like '92 when Flair was still with the company and they were doing this is when they were doing roundtables and then throwing the matches with like Vince at the head of the table, Oakland Hillbilly Jim, Mister Perfect, and Bobby Heenan, and those didn't have an audience and those were fun as hell. And they have all of the resources to do that right now. You could yeah. have Michael Cole uh, with, uh, you know, pick your heel manager of the week uh, and, and their talent. Like, I mean, you could do that exact same template if you want. But then you can toss to matches in the Performance Center. I think the other key thing that needs to happen for both AEW, NXT, WWE across the board, get the show down to an hour. Just, just you know, keep – you know, keep things rolling, but yeah, do that studio setup. Use the studio setup as a way of getting over angles and setting up matches at the performance center. Um, and, and you know, stop worrying about like things like entrances. You know, one of the other yeah. things that those old shows did that was good is you just started with the people in the ring, and I think that that's actually not a bad way of doing this. Or just you know, end with you know someone walking up the stairs, you know, at the tail end of their entrance or whatever. Yeah, or you know, you do control centers and throw to like green screen interviews. I mean, Absolutely. There's, there's a lot you could do here still. And it looks like it's going to be happening for a little bit longer news coming down right before we went to air that next month's money in the bank pay-per-view will not be taking place in Baltimore, Maryland. 
due to the pandemic, or as they like to call it, uh, <laughs> extenuating circumstances. I think it was, or current I was trying to find a way to make uh, like a too big for, uh, but I, I couldn't find a way to get I, in there. I, I am guessing that this year's Money in the Bank is too big for Baltimore, and they will be doing a ladder match in an empty performance center, much like they did uh, for this week's NXT. Um, Grow up, Baltimore. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um yeah. Oh, where do we I mean, start? I, I think I think I mean MGM Garden Grand Garden has announced there will be no shows for the month of May, which I guess includes Double or Nothing. The problem is Access and, and AEW have not come out with an official statement yet, which would be nice because someone on this show has tickets to that, and I'm guessing what they. I do. Be, no, no, no. Uh, um, but I'm guessing what they're, they might be doing is deciding whether or not they're postponing it and going to allow people to keep their tickets and put it on them to get, to make new reservations or, or if they're going to give refunds, I, I, it's, it's tricky now. And you're going to see a lot of bad will towards businesses that decide that, Hey, we have this money you gave us for these events. Maybe we'll just postpone them and keep your money for a while and say, no, you find a way to get here. I could see that happening, especially for things. I mean, the UFC today just got smacked down from having islands on their, or having islands on their private fight, fights on their private island. Um, And they're going to need money. They're going to need cash flow very, very soon because they have, uh, they have bonds they have to pay from, from the sale and, uh, One's coming up in September, and if they default on that, they're in big, big trouble. So I could see a lot of, a lot of leisure businesses like concerts and stuff starting to rethink. Hey, are we going to refund all these all these monies? Or are we just going to say, hey, we're postponing the concert? It'll come, uh, you know, that kind of business model. I mean, you could get a lot of angry consumers out of this whole thing, especially with unemployment rising as it is right now. Yeah, and then a lot of class action lawsuits too for you know refunds and refunding yeah, but, action. But you know what? They'll take their chances in court versus paying you. Paying oh yeah, back. no, for sure, for sure. It's just, but I, it's it not a great proposition either way. You know, you're still having to pay legal fees. Uh, so no, th- th- this is just potentially a very bad situation. But but going back to the studio wrestling thing, AEW could also be pursuing that a little bit, and, and this is a very low overhead sort of show for them to produce and i think it can be produced in a very entertaining way and i was thinking a little bit you know going back to lucha underground right some of my favorite stuff on lucha underground were the vignettes and there were no audiences in them either yeah that's true Um, there's a way to make entertaining wrestling without having an audience necessarily you're not going to get the same big arena vibe or whatever but i think you can make an entertaining watchable one-hour product um that can keep people entertained, uh, especially if you have good screaming and yelling at the news broadcast table segments. People love those. People have always loved those. Destroy, destroy TV set. People love that. Ever who doesn't love the table getting through, like thrown through the back wall? Like that's good stuff. Yeah, who doesn't love like Bobby Eaton bringing over a jobber to Crockett and Shivani and just hitting him on the table there and just taking him back to the ring. Yeah, there's there's a lot of this. I I think AEW and NXT do deserve kudos. They're doing something interesting. They're really mixing in these great matches with squashes as well. 
I'd, I'd like it a little bit more on the interview front to, to go with the squashes, but uh, yeah, because we have this lack of uh, crew, we're getting a lot more squashes these days on TV, and I, I'm kind of digging it, Chris. I like the squashes. Like, I even like the, the Rollins squash. I thought that the squash was well chosen. It actually made sense for where Rollins was. He but just I need needed- that post-squash promo. That's what yes. I need. I need yes. that. I need. I just. I just beat a young man up there and took all his dreams away. Or that kid gate has heart. He'll be back someday. I guarantee it. But let me tell you something, Michael Cole. I'm gonna be fighting Kevin Owens. You know, whatever. You know, just something like. No, but or Seth Rollins like holding the kid up and like trying to cut an interview with him and just you know being a total jerk to him. Or maybe saying that, yeah, he's helping him out by letting him, you know, take this massive beating. And he's going to show him one more tip and then hitting him with uh, the curb stomp again. I, like, squash matches are good. I, I, go back to studio wrestling. 80s studio wrestling is the template that they can run with right now. Interesting doings this week in the NXT AEW quote-unquote war, if you're going to choose to call it that. NXT 693,000 viewers. Point one nine in the coveted 18 to 49 demo. AEW, 692,000 viewers, but they had a little bit higher, 0.26 in the 18 to 49 demo. So basically, NXT, by a hair, by a thousand people, more people wanted to watch the cinematic quote unquote conclusion to Gargano and Champa and the women's ladies match for the number one contender to Charlotte Flair's NXT title. We are now in week two of TakeOver. TakeOver having started last week a little bit with the three-way between Keith Lee. Well, we'll stop. But, but real quickly before we move off of the ratings thing, what, which of the two did you think was the better show? Ooh, that is a good question. Because I really did enjoy AEW this week. Uh, mostly, not all of it, but I did enjoy it. But I, I, I would go with Eileen I lean, I lean NXT. I, I enjoyed that. I, I agree. I think it... I think the latter match and, and the, the main event. Okay, we'll talk about the main we'll event. We'll talk about the main event. <laughs> yeah, but, like, there were things there that were interesting. It just felt like a better made show than AEW. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about some of my problems with AEW. But I, I think it's been interesting because, like, week to week, I think some weeks AEW has been winning the, you know, comparison shop war. But this week was not one of them. I thought an XT one. Go into it. Why Why not? Because this, this would be the time we'd talk about a little bit of AEW. Okay. So uh, I thought that the Britt Baker and uh, – oh, who is she wrestling? Hikaru uh, Shida. Yeah, Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida, as, as, uh, as, 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 uh, as Dasha Fuentes calls her. Yeah, so um, I thought that that match should have ended once Britt Baker was just like gushing blood from her from her nose, and I, I believe thought that got praised. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're in the middle of a damn pandemic. I know. I, I, I no. But here's the thing that made it very dumb to me is that the finish was the exact same spot that they could have wrapped it up on. Uh-huh. Sheeta actually hits a knee right after Britt Baker starts gushing blood, and then her finish, she just runs off the ropes and hits another knee, and I'm like why didn't we just go home i i thought maybe baker's got to get the win or there's some other finish that needed to happen there but for she to just go over i thought it would be completely convincing for her to bust a geyser and then you know get the win that's a convincing win why did that match need to keep going on uh, and then the other thing for me was i thought the package in the middle uh the video package it just i mean 
you, you know those don't do anything for me. I was watching the parts where Hager was talking, and I thought some of the characterization for Hager was good. I like some of the stuff with Ambrose or uh, Moxley. But, um, and then I enjoyed Orange Cassidy's little gimmick where he just spies on Kenny Omega and Michael Nakamura or Nakazawa. Yeah, um, hanging out in his closet. And then uh, the best friends come in. And then after the best friends leave, Orange Cassidy just goes back to hanging out in the closets. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I I disagree. I really liked the the Hager stuff because it, it it it's that it's that UFC building. I didn't I didn't say I didn't like the Hager stuff. I liked the Hager stuff, but like that video. You were no, I lo- no no I liked the Hager stuff. I don't like the video packages, like the long the extended recap of everything that's going on in the card in the middle of the show. I just think it totally kills the momentum. Like I, it's, I have to fast forward through that stuff to get to the main event. I, if I sat through it, I'd be bored out of my mind by the time we got to the main event. I know Cody says it's merely coincidence and there's just certain characteristics, but I did not fall off of a turnip truck. Mr. Brody is Mr. McMahon in any way, shape and form today. I mean, the whole dress code thing is, has been kind of a, bane for the writers and for the talent where it's like you need to dress like you work in a corporation so that you know these types of things you can't you can't fool me that's what it is and i'm i'm fine with it my big problem with the show is is okay you gotta decide who's gonna be the comic relief on this show is it gonna be jericho matt hardy or nakazawa and omega because there's too much of it there's too much. Yeah, no, Jericho, Jericho hamming it up on commentary. Like, I get that he's entertaining, and he is entertaining. And it's like, especially as someone growing up watching Jericho in WCW as a kid when, like, I really enjoyed his antics back then. Like, I thought he was the best. I loved Ralphus particularly. But um, he's hamming it up on commentary with Shivani and doing this whole nostalgia tour thing. And it's like, I'm supposed to hate this guy. And, like, even when he's working – as a heel, like he does, I'll give you an example. Calling the guy Pineapple Man, like how does Pineapple Man come back from Pineapple Man? Because like that, nah, I can't even remember that guy's name now. All, all I can, I but I remember Pineapple Man. Yeah, um, I did enjoy the Cody versus Sean Spears match. I, I thought that was. It's weird because Sean Spears has kind of been in this rut on dark of, you know, who's going to be his tag partner. And that's just not an interesting story right now. But I thought this match was quite good for him. Oh, and I like uh, Jake's promo, too. Yeah, I I thought Jake's great. I I enjoyed the squash match, too, with Lance Archer. Uh, Like, that stuff really worked. Uh, AEW came off the blocks this week with with some good steam. But uh, it just... For me, it kind of turned the corner momentum-wise when the Britt Baker match kept going on, and then we hit that big video package in the middle, and I was kind of slowing down on the show. Yeah, the old the old school passing out from the pain from the figure four. I, I like that. I do. Or just or just not being able to kick out of it. I, I, I thought that's a nice little touch from the class of 1986 right there. I thought that was neat. So... NXT, where to start? I'm going to start with a minor, minor rant from last week's NXT. I could not believe they fed Jake Atlas to Sam Shaw slash uh, Dexter Loomis. You got to understand, Jake Atlas, kind of a big deal out here in California on the Indies, thought to have major star potential, 
especially for the woke commerce types, because he is a big advocate of LGBT or LBGQT. Uh, I think I got that <laughs> acronym right. PQ, um, actually. I you. mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got you got all the letters. I got I, the letters. I just got yeah. them in the wrong order. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about that. Really. Um. Yeah. This was a guy who who AEW wanted to push to the top of their card. This is a guy who could have gone to Ring of Honor and top lined probably on the on his on this next contract. But his dream was to go to WWE, and he's 200 pounds, and this is what happens. I could not believe it, Chris. I mean, but I can because I've seen Tony Nese get completely overlooked by this company. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little saddened by that, uh, especially because I don't I don't know what they're going to do with Dexter Loomis. I mean, I thought he was okay in that uh, in that tournament they had. And he has an interesting character somewhat, a little creepy. But, man, he's been around for a while. And if if he's just going to be a guy that they're going to He's be always been a guy with a few spots too. He's not really been a long match guy. Yeah. Eh, a few cool spots. He can, you know, I mean he does like a over the top ropes dive that looks really good. Like he does some You hit your mute button there, Chris. He, oh, I hit my mute button there. I, I, I've been, I've been told I hit the mute button. I know he's worked a few different. I, I think I hit it with my elbow in that case. But he's worked a few different characters along the way, uh, and yeah. he, he can do some things like that over the top rope tope. I'm not sure what got muted, what, what didn't get muted. So I just want to make sure I hit the spot. But uh, I, I've always felt like Sam Shaw, Dexter Loomis doesn't really have like a, a 20 minute match of any note. He has big Bubba Rogers charisma. He looks like a bodyguard. And he should No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ray Trailer's like one of the all time like underrated big men. That guy oh, No, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying big boss man Ray Trailer. I'm saying big Bubba Rogers Ray Trailer. Where he was okay. just a rookie in a suit and he'd go out there and he'd have to do like forty second squashers. Or something to that effect. He wasn't out there long. He was out there to have a look. He was out there to get over as Jim Cornette's bodyguard. That's okay. 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 All right. When we say, I mean, I just, I, you could have said anyone other than like the guardian angel, and I would have known that you were talking about the big boss man or Big Bubba Rogers. <laughs> so your number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship is now Io Shirai. Having beaten Chelsea Green, Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, and who am I leaving out? Oh, Candice LeRae uh, for, for the title. Uh, I, I enjoyed this match. I think there were a few, you know, there's those few of those. Here's the big choreographed spot here that we're going to do. Uh, the Robert Stone brand and Chelsea A lot Green. of Robert Stone in this match. <laughs> They, they, they have to take the falling off the top of the ladder onto the rope spot, which I find always somewhat dangerous. Um, a lot of carnage for an empty arena match. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Dakota Kai sending Tegan Knox through that table. Tegan Knox again. That's, that's the note I wanted to hit on this one. When Tegan Knox does the whole limp body like she died thing, she's fantastic at that. She's fantastic at dying on TV. Because it's just like everything goes limp and she's out. 
There's no like shaking. There's no convulsions. There's no eye open to see if anybody's watching. She just dies there, and it's it's fantastic. I I like Dakota Kai. I like Tegan in this match. I thought Mia Yim was especially tough. Um, Raquel Gonzalez, uh, an unnecessary addition into all of this. I mean, like, kind of less is more. Yeah, it's weird because you're going to do the spot with Robert Stone later. So it's always weird to have people in there interfering on your behalf, climbing the ladder and doing the spot. I think one's fine. I think two's overkill. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it even begs the question, why isn't Raquel Gonzalez going after Robert Stone? Because, you know, I know it's heel versus heel, but, like, it's also every man for themselves or every Very person true. for themselves. Very true. I, I think Io Shirai has – I think they put this over on commentary, too, that she has always wanted to face Charlotte Flair. I'm hoping that's in front of a crowd and not in an empty performance center. Uh, it seems to me like Io Shirai's uh, – placeholder holding pattern sort of feud i don't know that i think i don't think so because i think bianca belair going to the raw roster changes a lot on that women's roster and if 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 uh if Rhea well Ripley, yeah charlotte's certainly a transitional champion that uh, because i uh, they obviously would want to get her back on to raw or smackdown as soon as possible but they need to Io's the biggest star in the women's division right now because Rhea Ripley's out of the country and Bianca Belair is gone. So uh, who, who else would you transition it to? Uh, but hmm, I don't know. I, I guess it also then depends how you present Io and Charlotte because Io was essentially being a heel at the end of that match and Charlotte's been working as a heel. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> here's the funny thing, Chris. EO is the most over performer in that performance center when there's a crowd. Yeah, no, I know, been, but, oh, but, 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 but they don't have to worry about, or quote unquote, don't have to worry about that now because there's no audience, but it gets better. The company thinks Charlotte is a baby face. Oh, <laughs> right, right now. They think yes. that right now, yes. right now she's being a baby face right now. Yes. Going into the Rhea Ripley match. She was the uh, the uh, the underdog there, and Rhea there, Ripley. There was no heel face dynamics in that. That was two baby faces going to war. With oh, them. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> Which is absolutely ridiculous because you listen to her promos and all she does is they were cut not baby. Yeah, they were not sympathetic. I'm rooting for this person. Only a dick would be rooting for Charlotte Flair to cut down young Rhea Ripley's dreams. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I actually think Tegan Knox may be the be the next big babyface champion now that they've <laughs> they turned Candice LeRae, but <laughs> but I think I think there's a good chance Io Io Shirai gets takes the belt off of Charlotte, but they're gonna be putting Charlotte on NXT for the star power slash ratings for the foreseeable future. I am kind of looking forward to that. Any other notes on this match that you uh, anything you saw or anything you wanted to bring up? No, I, I thought it was a good match, though. I, I, I really I, – I was surprised at the level of work that the, these performers put in in an empty arena. Yeah, it, it, that has to be hard, right? Sure, yeah, right. No, you have to really kind of lock in and just let the adrenaline force you through that stuff. What if – and I know – I know we hate this kind of we hate this stuff when there there's actual people in an arena, but but this is a special circumstance. What if we could find a way to just close off 
all the chairs in there so it's just a dark room and just pipe in crowd noise as an effect because i saw a video of it where somebody was somebody was watching the empty arena stuff with crowd noise on the computer and i was like that makes it better but i don't know if it would be seen as hokey or not so it's just it's just something i was kind of testing in my head i think it might be too hokey to put it out there yeah i i, I wouldn't do that okay. i wouldn't do that yeah it was just a thought I, I just i just think there or maybe like maybe like in a video game like a soundtrack like some music going on while you're playing I thought you were going to say like like card people in the background no, holding no, up signs and stuff no, like no, 64 no, no, style. No, 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 but just something something to break up the silence in some way as opposed to having to hear all of them like doing their screaming because some of them aren't cutting very good promos while they're doing it. So it's I, I think that's an important note that they need to work on in, in terms of when they're doing these matches in the empty arenas is, is the talking during the match is very, very important to yeah. filling in the space that is left by not having an audience there. Right. You need to have that sound in there you know whether it's you smacking somebody's chest or you talking trash like it's also the wwe main roster commentary style is a real hindrance um in these empty arenas it's it's meant like michael cole's delivery is meant uh for the the classic 1990s tony shivani this is the biggest night in the history of our business the arena is really pumped tonight we're really excited to be here like cole's still kind of calling the matches like that and like Moro's call felt better yes. uh, Tony and Jericho's call felt better and it kind of filled in the space a little bit more even when it was like off the mark kind of you know tonally um, but Moro I thought made a, a much more usage of the space than the standard WWE call has yeah and I believe he taped that in his home here in, in Los Angeles uh, from his home studio, so that was that was a nice touch. I, th- I think Morrow brings a lot more to the brings some excitement to this product versus just a straight call that uh, that is desperately needed in these times. But next we get to Vince McMahon Productions presents <laughs> in association with NXT Full Sail the grand epic known as Gargano. Versus Champa, one last match. No, one last beat. One last beat. Um, I had said before that I was concerned that these very cinematic type of things had a certain uh, certain breaking point, and that if you did one on both nights of WrestleMania, that might affect your love of this Gargano Champa match. And for me, it did a little. Bit. Oh. Okay, but the thing is, I didn't hate the match. I didn't hate un- the match. Until we got, like, until to the end and, like, things got really, really hammy. Like, once we spilled out to the outside, you had Vanguard 2 shooting stuff on top of the truck, and we had done the top of the truck thing with Edge and Randy Orton at WrestleMania. The match overstayed its welcome, but I liked the lighting in the ring and if that match had been in the ring more like i like the the big overhead really bright saturated lighting i thought that was cool i really did um but then like the ref was kind of overacting a bit and it just yeah, it, yeah. I, I had a bit of a problem with drake i did and i love me some drake but the referee is only here to count the fall great that's what i want 
Don't don't get oh come on guys. You know what my favorite line is that WWE refs say all the time? Knock it off. It's a total non sequitur in a wrestling match. Okay, so especially in a no DQ wrestling match. So Triple H sitting in the ring as both guys come in from opposite doors conveniently because how did they not get the rights to Michael Jackson's Beat It? Yeah, this I, totally I had that vibe. I, hey, both you guys are going to arrive at this building. I'm, I'm hoping they gave them separate entrances that they had to park in. But <laughs> he's, you know, just, just Triple H chewing scenery here going, all right, as soon as I leave, it's on. I'm like, why aren't you saying to watch this fight? This is your company, fool. I would, I would just grab a seat somewhere and just watch. Just let's let watch these two go at it. And just have him have him sitting there, you know, maybe a little smile on his face or something as it goes. Um, the match itself was great. I think it's funny because I read a comment that goes basically what they've decided to do with this match was take the Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, I love you, I'm sorry spot and make it make it the dramatic point in every match now. The hands joining each other was was that a bridge too far for you i thought it made tomaso Ciampa look kind of dumb like the, yes. the, the weird the the thing is it's not earned right it's not oh i i don't like the latent content of it or whatever it's not that it's that there's no emotional earning of these moments at this point they're just doing them like Guys, a their hands band. touch they really love each other they're just right yeah because they're friends and they're yeah. beating each other like i and even when candace comes in it, it just it is a narrative non sequitur like if it was earned I would be there emotionally with them and I would, I would be, you know, feeling the feels and all that stuff. I'm totally that, that kind of sappy emotional kind of guy when I'm watching a good narrative, but like, this is just, it is, it's the notes that this band plays for the sake of playing these notes without any understanding of why these notes are being played. I'll, I'll tell you what I like about it. And this is, this might be going way too much in the weeds and way too esoteric for a wrestling program, but I've, I've, I've stood out now. I've, I've watched these, uh, these Johnny Gargano matches uh, with Ciampa and the whole theme of them was Gargano would always lose these ma big matches in his life because he tried to be a bad guy and he wasn't a very good bad guy on this match. He learned how to be a proper villain through his wife. And Ciampa is a terrible good guy. He doesn't know he suffers from stupid baby face syndrome. So I would like that if there was a justifiable reason why Tommaso suffers from stupid baby face syndrome. Yeah. I understand why Johnny finally has to break and it, it takes Candace to get him there. And so I guess in that sense, it's earned. But Tommaso's stupid baby face syndrome in this case it has hurts, not been earned. It hurts the black heart gimmick. <laughs> you can't have a heart of stone if you're caring about your friend that you're beating up, you know. So, I, yeah. Especially because he was coming back here singularly to get Goldie and he was singularly uh -huh. focused on that. No, I, I mean. He wasn't singularly focused. No, right. No, there's, there's just a lot of problems for him as the protagonist here. 
And so, I, yeah, I, I guess I have problems with that. I, I mentioned to you today that I, I had this weird analogy pop in my head involving this moment that we're in, in terms of wrestling television production and uh, the rock group sticks. Uh, <laughs> this is the most random thing. Is, let me put it this way. This is Mr. Roboto album. Yeah, yeah. So, so there too. When I was like nine years old, was a big deal. It was, like, it was a big deal, right? Like, but like that album. tour was a it was a disaster, right? Like, so here the problem with the Mr. Roboto tour was twofold. One, they had written like a product that was like not very good. Like Dennis DeYoung wanted to do this show that was going to be Kilroy. Kilroy's only real like memorable good song on there was Mr. Roboto, which was getting heavy airplay and people wanted to see it played live. But the actual live show involved 10 minutes of Tommy Shaw trying to act his way through the open of this before they even get to the opening song. And I don't think Mr. Roboto gets played until like 45 or 50 minutes into the show. Like Dennis DeYoung really forced this onto a journey and Initially, they wanted to do it in theaters, but it was way too expensive to do in theaters, and they weren't making any money, and they weren't able to turn a profit. So then they tried to do it in arenas, and the show wasn't working in arenas because now you had tens of thousands of people, back when tens of thousands of people were going to see music live, in the before time. Um, and they were all sitting there and watching Tommy Shaw from, you know, hundreds of yards away in many cases with tons of echo as he's trying to act his way poorly through a live stage show. Uh, the reason all of this popped into my head uh, is because WWE has been kind of running their product with the same problem that Sticks had. Like, different thing. They want to do this big show, and this big show doesn't transpose down to a smaller show. It doesn't transpose down to a smaller venue. And rather than changing the show like in the case of what what should what sticks should have done when they needed to abandon ship on this theatrical tour because they weren't turning any money it's just play the damn songs right make a set play you know the the hits from yesteryear like uh play renegade damn it no 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 but play renegade play mr roboto try to make money turn a profit do what you have to do go with the flow right God, Sticks, we are so in Andrew Rich's wheelhouse right now. I hope you're smiling right now, Andrew. Yeah, I really Sticks do. didn't go with the flow, and WWE isn't going with the flow either. And to a certain extent, AEW isn't going with the flow either. Um, right. and, and that that's what's that's what I think about as I'm doing this. Is, is you need to tailor your product for the venue that you are in. Dennis DeYoung was going through his Pete Townsend phase at this time. I actually saw a production of Jesus Christ Superstar with Dennis DeYoung as, uh, as pilot. I believe Ted Neely and Carl Anderson were still in the cast, by the way, for those of you who like Jesus Christ Superstar. You want to geek out musically, you come to me in Novembrino. That's what you do. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I will throw down some music. I will absolutely throw down some music. Yeah, I, I didn't like the Candace turn. I got to be honest with you. I was kind of hoping she'd kick both guys in the balls and walk off, and that would be the end. Yes, right. I was actually thinking that that was going to be the end, and I would have been more narratively satisfied with her just hating both of them and them having to slowly turn face again, realizing that they have kind of broken each other down. Like, it, it does no good for them to keep fighting each other, which is also the truth of where we're at on a meta level. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, it, it's one of those things where I ha- like, much like the Firefly Funhouse, I have to think about it a little bit more because you also have to give them credit for narrative storytelling in terms of that cup was obviously the thing that he was handed as right. he was walking right. in. So they paid that off. Yeah. And, and they paid off people paying attention. So I can't, I can't, I can't slam this as as being bad i just it, it's just one of those things where it's like okay i've seen two other cinematic journeys through wrestling and i don't know if this paid off as well as it should have that's my i think that's my main takeaway this is another one that could have been edited a little tighter and and i just think it goes back to my general critique of the empty audience or the no audience shows they should be structured more towards an hour of television and all the matches should be tightened down so matches you'd have go 15 minutes you have go 11 to 12 minutes matches you'd have go 10 minutes have them go seven minutes just you know tailor them down maybe 25 percent 30 percent um and and i think that would do them some good the case of gargano and champa it just was a little long i thought there's a good if you edit that down, there's a really good edit of that match, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing, we had the squash match. We had the uh, uh, Mr. Malcolm Bivens' team coming out. <laughs> yeah, versus uh, Ever Rush or Ever Tide or whatever. Ever Rise. Ever Rise. Ever Rise, yeah. Who I have, a, I, have a strange, I have a strange love for them. I do. I like them a lot. They're like, yeah, yeah, uh, Martell or whatever reminds me a little bit of like Scotty Riggs from what back they, in the day. What they remind me of is the first time that they put out, uh, they put out uh, uh, the revival when they were the mechanics and they're just coming out. They're, they're a t- you know, they're a team and you know, they're kind of skilled as a tag team, but you know, right now the WWE doesn't see much in them other than feeding them to other teams, but you know that there's something there. Kind of like I, the hunt, kind of like uh, yeah, kind of like the hunt. Pretty, yeah, they're, pretty, they're pretty below deadly. the hunt. Yeah, they're like probably pretty deadly level right now. Yeah, but they've used them before, and I liked them. I remember they were in a match a while ago, and one of the guys got hurt during the match, so they had been off TV. But I, I like, I like tag teams, so I'm, I'm naturally for this. I'm. I like Bivens. Bivens gave me some serious Gary Hart vibes. Yeah. Uh, he, he was doing the big eyes and stuff. It was very Gary Hart. I like it. It's very cartoony. I <laughs> Gary Hart's thing for me was always his voice when he was kind of going into that New York or it was either Chicago or New York City accent that he had from the streets. He'd be dressed in a suit, but he'd be talking like he'd have his rap daddy from the streets type of thing. Bivens, I think they're trying to. <laughs> make him ham that up a little bit too much, but uh, I'm here for that. He's great. And I love him. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know what I think of these two giant dudes. They're not the, they're not the authors of pain. Let's no, put it that way. No, they're not. They're not at that level yet by any means. And I think next week we get the conclusion of our takeover matches with Adam Cole versus the Velveteen dream. I'm interested. I kind of want to see if they're going to crown dream right now, or if they're still, or if they're going to play this game. It's a dangerous game to play Chris, because NWA, my, the, the Federation of my youth did this with Lex Luger and a number of other young talents where they always go, Hey, we're going to give them the big match and we're not going to crown them just yet, but we'll crown them on the next time. And next time never came. So I'm going to be very interested to see if they decide to see what they have with young Patrick Clark 
or if Adam Cole is going to be the flag bearer for a little while longer. Yeah, I could see this going either way. I, I, I want to say they do Velveteen Dream, and, and I think that one of the things with uh, Velveteen Dream and the empty arena setup is you can play to some of the cinematic qualities of Velveteen Dream and do some interesting edits to maybe make some more memorable spots here. Like well, this that's could... what I wanted. Oh, there, was a, there was an edit in the ladder match. That made me laugh. It was like they, someone did a big spot, and then all of a sudden you see them in an angle through a table where it wasn't, or through a ladder that wasn't really how they fell or whatever. I'm just like, come on, guys. We need some continuity on this, but uh, please, sorry. Go ahead with your point. No, that's, that's really all I've got. Is I, I would say put the belt on Velveteen Dream, but it seems weird to do any big title changes at this time um, with, you know, kind of – them not having real good narrative energy going right now. Yeah, that's going to do it for Shake Them Ropes. I'll be interested. I may watch SmackDown because Aunt Pam will be on there. But other than that, I'm not really – I don't want to see who – who is King Corbin going up against next or what's going to happen with Otis and Mandy. So we taped this a bit early because TakeOver was the big thing this week. Uh, you can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. We are a part of the Voices of Wrestling family at Voices Wrestling. Voicesofwrestling.com. Please come enjoy all the shows on the network, the flagship, everything elite. If you like your if you like your wrestling a little bit uh, a little bit off the beaten path, we got a show for you because God knows there's more shows about Japanese wrestling than I can keep up with this also does other podcasts that are non-wrestling related he's going to tell you about them now yeah and i've got an extra plug this week so there's don't worry about the government which you can find at dwatg on twitter don't worry.tv is our homepage, and we're on itunes and stitcher my other show is called the all in the family podcast putting out shows intermittently i'll probably have another taping session with Lindsay here in the next couple few weeks but we taped a few about a month ago but the other thing i wanted to plug today is have you ever wanted to learn a musical instrument are you sitting at home right now and not doing much because you have to shelter in place and you've got a webcam and you're all set up for that well i work for a company called taylor robinson music and we do webcam lessons so if you're interested in doing music lessons on guitar bass or drums uh, we have instructors and i'm teaching all the guitar and bass lessons so if you want a guitar slash bass lesson from yours truly Go to taylorrobinsonmusic.com and go and check out what we do over there. Cool. Hey, I may be taking a lesson soon. Yeah, if you're just sitting at home and you're not doing anything, yeah, well, go, go and check this out. I, I am doing something. I, I still have to put in 50-plus hours on my computer, but I have a bass that's been gathering dust that I need to relearn how to play somehow. No, so, we, have, um, we have really good web camera software. Like, I, you know, I don't want to get too on my, uh, my plug here, but, like, no, we, we are actually – I'm in the process of working with everybody on – getting our web camera stuff upgraded like we have a whole platform built for this so if you're looking to learn at home we have the ability to do that for you cool cool well that's all for us have a good weekend everybody continue to stay safe we're getting better but we're not out of it yet